Well, we are going to look into this <coughs> account in just a moment. I would, uh, last week we met, it was the 4th of July weekend, and I shared a message last Sunday about the freedom that Paul had experienced here, the freedom that God wants each of us to have. And uh, it's a very important concept to, to understand. And uh, I would encourage you to go online and, and just listen to that because there's a, a very, very powerful truth there. And uh, I just encourage you to do that. We are going to look at chapters, uh, chapter 24 this morning. We are kind of in the midst of five chapters, chapter 21 through chapter 26. And these chapters cover five different trials of Paul. I mentioned a few weeks ago that you might ask, why is there so much written about these trials? And you know, here's Paul, and he's going about Asia, and he's starting churches. He's beginning to push his way off up, even as far as Europe, the edges of Europe. And it's a very successful time in his life. Many churches are being started in, in a lot of towns. And as you read through the New Testament, you know, Philippi, Colossae, all these uh, towns there are places where churches have been started. And so now we see that Paul here is, is going to be in prison, and this is going to be a long stint. And we may, you know, ask the question, why, you know, what's going on here? And some things when we don't, sometimes when we don't understand what's going on, we need to go back and, and be reminded. And I thought it was interesting that in Acts chapter 9, listen to these words. This is, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, and he's talking here now about going and talking to Paul. And Paul has just gotten, has just gotten converted to Christianity. He says, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So, Paul, your role is going to bring to, to bear message and witness among the Gentiles, among the Jewish people, and thirdly, among the kings of your day. And so... We're going to see here Paul going before Felix, and then before Festus, and then before King Agrippa, and then finally being sent to Rome before Caesar. And so, you know, as we look back, we see God is doing exactly what he said from the very beginning he would do in his life. So here it is. <clears throat> Let me just give a quick overview. Chapter 21. Paul's about to go into Jerusalem. This prophet says, Paul, if you go into Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and chained. Paul says, so be it. And he goes to Jerusalem, exactly what Agabus the prophet said happened. He gets arrested. And he is first on trial before this mob. Then the Romans come in and really rescue him by arresting him because the mob was about to kill him. Then he's brought before the Sanhedrin. There's a plot to take his life, and within a few hours he is whisked out of town and taken two, out, two days travel north to Caesarea. So that's where he is. It's been about five days, and a group, an entourage from Jerusalem, shows up, and they show up there before Felix. We see here that they come and they accuse Paul of, of three crimes. There's three things that they accuse him of. 
All of these things are crimes, and if, if he is found guilty of these, they are punishable through death. Okay, so here's the first one. They said, this guy is guilty of inciting a riot. Okay, look at verse 5 there. It says, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. So, they're basically saying, this guy is a troublemaker. The Romans did not like riots. And they had all these towns where Jewish people lived, and they put you know, authorities in charge. And if those authorities didn't keep things quelled down, the Romans would take them out. They did not like chaos and confusion in these towns. And so, if you were inciting a riot, you could be punished with death for inciting a riot. So that's their first charge. The second thing they say, and, and that is that, that he is starting a new religion. He's starting a new religion. And so we see that. <clears throat> Take a look at the, the next verse here. It says, he is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Okay? This guy is the ringleader for this Nazarene sect. And they are definitely, in calling it a sect, are saying, this is a, this is a new religion this guy's starting. And that also was illegal in the Roman culture. Well, the third one was that he was desecrating the temple. And again here, you'll see that verse, <clears throat> chapter 24, verse 5, and even tried to desecrate the temple, and so we seized him. So these are the three charges, all crimes, and it's the Jews, Ananias, same guy that tried Jesus, and Tertullian, who's a sweet-talking lawyer, basically, is what he was. And so they come. And then Paul then has an opportunity to respond. And so we see first here he responds to the charge that he's inciting a riot. And this is his response in verse 11. He says, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem. Verse 12, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city. Interesting, unlike a lot of places Paul went and basically was arguing with the Jews, in this case, Paul came in and he said, I wasn't arguing with anyone about anything. So that's his first answer to inciting a riot. Secondly, in regards to starting a new religion, verse 14, however, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. So here's what Paul does. Is he says, you know what? My religion is the same religion as these Jews. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets. I am simply following what the prophets of the Jewish faith have said. This is not a sect. This is the fulfillment of the Jewish religion is the point here that Paul makes. And thirdly, as far as desecrating the uh, temple, 
In verse 18, Paul says, I was ceremonially, ceremonially clean when they found me in the courts doing this. There was no crowd with me. Paul hadn't brought someone that was unclean into the temple. And so all three of these charges Paul answers. Well, the, government, the governor dismisses everyone and postpones the verdict and says, we'll wait till the commander gets here. Now, the next little paragraph and piece of the story is really the one I'd like to focus in on for just a few minutes with you this morning. And that is this, the time when Felix, who's the governor, and his wife informally, this is not a legal trial or anything like that, but he and his wife sit down in a one-on-one -on -one with, with the Apostle Paul and to have a private conversation. And so it's a very, you know, we don't know who initiated this, if it was Felix or if it was his wife, Drusilla. But basically they sit down, evidently they start asking Paul questions, and of course, as Paul would always do, he got around to sharing the, the whole message of faith in Jesus Christ with them. Now before I share the rest of his response, let me just give you a little insight into the kind of people here that Paul is talking with. Felix was, first of all, he was a slave. And he'd been freed, and he'd become a favorite of the emperor. And he had worked his way from being a slave all the way now up to being a, you know, now he was a governor, which was an amazing thing, going from being a slave to where he was. And so he had been freed by Claudius, and he had worked his way up here. He was an extortionist. He was a crook. He was somebody that would take people's property. He was about as bad as they could get. And so we, you can, you know, we see about this from historical writings about him, that he was extremely, uh, extremely devious in that way. I mean, everybody in those days had their power and the ways they abused it. But as we'll see, this guy actually was pulled out of his position here because of the things that he was doing. This was his second marriage. The gal he was married to was also married to someone else at the same time. And as I mentioned, he was recalled from this position uh, due to some scheme where he had many people slain in order to accomplish his own goals and purposes. So that's Felix. Then there's Drusilla, his wife. She's a Jewess. She's about 20 years old. She is the daughter of Herod the Great. <clears throat> and from what history tells us, she was a charmer of sorts. And she was also unlawfully married. She was married to another man, had gotten hooked up with Felix, and was now married to him at the same time. So these aren't, the point is, these aren't, you know, really good, God-fearing, moral people who are coming to the Apostle Paul. These are the rich and the powerful whose lives are steeped in money and sex and power. These are the people that they are. So what does Paul say to them? What does Paul say to them? Well, what he does is he, he attacks the very thing that is standing between Felix and Drusilla and the gospel. 
And that's the pattern throughout the New Testament. You know, Jesus responded, if you, if you read, you'll notice he responded differently to people all the way through. You know, the woman caught in adultery, he responds one way. Nicodemus, he responds another way. To the Pharisees and the Sadducees, another way. But he's always attacking the wall between them and the Gospel. And so the wall here for Felix and Drusilla is the lives that they're living. And so it tells us not only did he share the gospel with them, which we find that he did, but we, we also find here that as they talked, it says he spoke about, verse 24, he spoke about faith in Christ, and as Paul discoursed on, three things, just notice what they are. Number one, righteousness. What Paul does here is he holds up a mirror. And he talks about righteousness and he holds up, I'm sure, their lives and things, I'm sure, begin to get uncomfortable for Felix and Drusilla. Because their lives are anything but righteous. And perhaps Paul talked with them about <clears throat> the issue that without righteousness no one will see God, that no one in all the world is righteous, and that only Christ can bring us that righteousness that will enable us to stand before God. But he begins a, what we can only imagine to be somewhat of a very confrontive conversation. Secondly, it says, and he talked about self-control. Now things get even more uncomfortable. And Paul's talking to this couple who are, you know, here they are, they're, they're living with one another illegally, uh, they're married to other people. There's stuff going on. And Paul talks with them about self-control. And then thirdly it says, and judgment. Paul is not shy. And he, in some sense, I'm sure, just said to them, look, you will stand before God one day. And you will give an account for everything that you have done. We will all stand before God, and you will be accountable for the life. And it's an interesting thing, because here's Felix, who's a judge himself, and Paul is saying, you know what? One day you're going to be on the other side of the bench, and you will not be judging others. You will be judged by God himself. And at this point, the text tells us that he was afraid, and what that word means is that he was starting to tremble. And I have to tell you, here, you know, Felix is, he's not a softie. This is a guy who wouldn't even flinch about slaughtering scores of people. But this guy is starting to tremble because the conviction of the Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is starting to, to hit him in the core of his being. And at that point, he just says, hey, we're done. We're going to end the conversation here. I will talk to you later when the time is more convenient. Which is a very interesting little, very interesting little phrase. That's one of the most dangerous little phrases in all the Bible. I'll do it later. When it's more convenient. Because you know what? That time may very well never come. You know, people don't realize that that conviction of the Holy Spirit is something that God is doing outside of the person. 
We can't just decide we're going to be convicted about something. When God is working, when God is trying to draw us to Himself, that's when we need to be responsive to Him. You know, to say, well, I'll do it later, I'll do it next year. That next year may never come. The time is always now. To our knowledge, neither of these two ever responded to the Gospel. We can tell over the next two years that even though Felix came back, it appears that there was no response there. Drusilla was divorced within about two years. And a few years later with her young son, she was trying to escape a, uh, in 76 AD. There was a volcanic eruption. She was trying to escape and she, was, she couldn't escape the molten lava. And both her and her son perished. That convenient time perhaps never came. So what do we learn... You know, what do we learn from, from this story? As, as we go through the book of Acts, we're trying to pull out lessons that will help us as we seek to be missional as a church. Well, certainly if God is speaking to you about something, don't put it off till a more convenient time. When God is speaking, that is a, a very important opportunity for us to respond but I think the point I want to I leave with us is, is that, you know, as we talk with people and as we share with people about the gospel, it's important that people know, as Paul brings to light here, that we will all stand before God. That the gospel is not just something that God is offering to us to make our life a little better. That the gospel is something that God is offering us to save our life. And that's a very different thing. A couple of years ago, we went through the way of the Master. And uh, those of you who went through that will remember an illustration that he used that I thought was very telling. And it was, he uses the example of being in an airplane. You know how it is when you fly and the stewardess is up there and she's giving you instructions about, you know, what to do with the air thing and then the life check. You know the whole speech. And what are you doing? You know, you're sitting there reading your book or trying to whisper quietly so you don't get in trouble to the person next to you. And I remember the last time that I flew and she was talking about the life jacket thing. I'm going, when she got done, I thought, man, you know, I don't think I'd get that if something happened. I don't think I was listening very closely. You know why? Because I really didn't think we were going down. And in that illustration, Kurt Cameron shares the illustration. And uh, he just says, you know, if you got on a plane and they gave you a parachute, it was a little uncomfortable, and they said, here's a parachute, you'd probably treat it like the life jacket. You'd probably just put it under your seat. But if you got on the airplane and about five minutes into the flight, the announcement came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, I need to know that we are having problems on the plane and we are not going to reach our destination. We'll be going down somewhere along the way. You would probably put on your parachute. Amen. Yeah, you, you would probably put it on. And the message that we are called to give people is that, you know what? The plane is going down. 
plane is going down. This is not a convenience thing. You don't need Christ because it will be more convenient for you. You need Christ because the plane's going down, down, and if you do not have Christ, you will perish. That is what caused here Felix to tremble. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen, but it's a matter of when. And so there's the bad news and there's the good news. And uh, this morning as a church, I just want to simply leave us with this thought. You know, what, what makes, as we share the bad news of the seriousness of our sin before God, the seriousness of our lack of right, our own righteousness being sufficient enough, you know, as we share that with people, we can then share the good news of the gospel, which Paul does all the, all the time. The wonder that we can be saved that we can survive through what God is offering us in Christ. We're going to gather around the table this morning. We're going to celebrate and rejoice in what Christ did for us. Because of this table, there is no condemnation for any of us this morning. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the gift that God was offering Felix and Drusilla, and they said, well, well, we'll think about this more at a more convenient time. If you're here today and God speaks to you, don't say, I'll do it at a more convenient time. This is the time. Uh, right before we go into communion, and uh, we'll do one song before communion, then we're going to gather around the table. But I'd like to listen to a, uh, a guy, his name's Rod Mayron, and uh, he'll tell you just about a little bit of his experience with this marvelous truth.
Father, we thank you for this reminder this morning that there is no condemnation through Christ, that every sin, that every failure, uh, and every scar is forgiven through your grace and through your righteousness. So Father, we just lift up that fact today. We worship you for your grace today. And uh, we just celebrate as your people just a few moments around this table together. Father, we pray for anyone here who has yet to experience this grace and this forgiveness. And uh, today, Lord, might they open their heart, surrender their life to you, and invite you to come and do the transforming work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.